Well, today's reading, I've already shared with you, uh, begins the final act in the drama of Jesus' life. Uh, For three years, he's been parading through Palestine, preaching the word, uh, delivering people from everything from their sicknesses to demon possession or whatever. But on this Sunday, on Palm Sunday, uh, it's Passover time, which corresponds to that season of Easter. And this is a particularly sacred time uh, for people on the Jewish calendar. And it's during this time that thousands of people would converge on the city of Jerusalem. In fact, Jewish law said that every male who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem must come to Passover. And at the same time, there were thousands of other people who were coming from all parts of the known world. Every corner of the world would make their journey to Jerusalem. And so it was that Jesus and his disciples, as was the custom, came to Jerusalem as well. Now, at this point in time, Jesus was at the very peak of his popularity. Uh, For three years, he'd been traveling back and forth, up and down, side to side, preaching, teaching, healing people. Um, And the word about him had spread like wildfire. People came just to see him. Now, indeed, people coming to Jerusalem from all over the world were eager to see this so-called new prophet. And so Jesus stages his entry in kind of a unique fashion uh, by sending some of his disciples, as you heard in the reading, to a nearby village to get a donkey and a colt, and he rode them through the streets of Jerusalem. Must have been an amazing thing. Perhaps tens of thousands of people as they came through, and uh, they were waving their palms. Uh, and because this was this was not insignificant to most of the people, because it was a fulfillment of a prophecy recorded by the prophet Zechariah back in the Old Testament. Zechariah and Matthew quotes it here in verse five of the reading I shared with you before. He said, see, say to the daughters of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, if you've got your palms. When we get to Hosanna here in a bit, you'll get a chance to use them, uh, I think, if I remember right. But as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, you've got this huge, large crowd. Some of them had actually taken their coats off, their jackets, their top covering. And uh, Jesus rode through the streets and followed him. And they were shouting in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now you can imagine that day doing those kinds of things. Now after all of this big grand entry into the city of Jerusalem, Jesus shows up at the temple. And he creates quite a scene. uh, Overturning tables and chasing out money lenders and merchants uh, who were doing business. uh, turning Turning tables over, chasing animals out of the temple. It must have been quite a day. Now the question is, why did he do that? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We're going to take a little bit closer look at our text this morning. And there's a lesson here. And it's a lesson in how we are to welcome Jesus into our lives. And I want to suggest to you, it's also the way that we need to continue to welcome Jesus into Restore. And probably on the screen you're going to see here that it has to do with four prayers that we need to pray. In fact, that's the whole message today. But I'm going to talk a lot about each one of them. Uh, So don't think we're getting a short one today. Let's start with this first prayer that you and I need to pray. And it's this. Save us. Save us. Now, Jesus enters Jerusalem. The crowd cried out, what? They cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means what? God, save us. 
That's what they were shouting. God save us. God save us. And the people were really acknowledging Jesus as this true Messiah, this Mashiach, uh, the one who would save the people of Israel. Uh, they saw him as their savior. They just didn't know exactly what it meant when they said, save us. Because at this point on Palm Sunday, they didn't realize that in a few days, they'd be looking at this guy hanging on a cross, crucified for our sins. They didn't understand what the atoning uh, death of Jesus meant, even though, uh, that though his death, uh, our sins would be forgiven and we'd have eternal life. They didn't quite grasp that yet. And not even the disciples who traveled with Jesus for three years kind of understood. In spite of, man, every day, can you imagine getting up every day and having Jesus teach Bible class? I mean, for three years they're walking and talking and he's teaching and teaching and teaching. And, and, and at the end they're just going, say what? <laughs> You're going to die? Uh, I, that, that wasn't what we signed up for here. Um, you know, we, we need to say this prayer then. We need to learn like the disciples to say, God, save us. And with this prayer, we literally welcome Jesus into our lives. It is a prayer of absolute dependence on our Lord and Savior. It's a way of saying, God, I, I can't save myself. I need you in my life. You need to be my Messiah. You need to be my Savior. And this is where our relationship with the Father, with God, begins by accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, which is what Mike went through again this morning. And it continues day by day. It's every day you're saying, God, I need to be saved and thank you for doing it. Each and every day. We never, ever get to the point where we don't depend on him. We never reach the point when we don't need him to save us. And we're not just talking about saving us from our sins, but we need to even be saved from ourselves. And we need to save from the situations that you and I find ourselves in each and every day. Now, I have no idea of what goes on in your lives. A few of you, I have a better idea because I'm married to one of them. Uh, I, I know a little bit more about what goes on in the life of Jeff and Anthony and Joel because I hang out with them somewhat regularly. Uh, <clears throat> but the rest of you, all of us this morning, some of you may be struggling with a situation today uh, that you can't fix by your own strength. It's home there, doesn't it, Mike? That's why you need to ask for it. Ask for it. Some of you may be struggling with sins and self-defeating habits that have kind of hung on to you like leeches for years. And that's what you need to learn to say too: God, save us or save me. And I'm not just talking about a salvation experience where you had a come to Jesus moment. I'm talking about everyday Christian living each and every day to say, Lord, <clears throat> I can't make it without you. Hosanna, God, save me. We need to say, God, save me from my sins. Save me from myself. Save me from my situation because I just plain simple cannot make it without you. So if we want to make this journey in holiness, the foundation of our lives must be total and utter dependence on the Lord. Not only you, but I would be remiss if I didn't also tell you this also means the same thing for this place we call Restore. If we want this place, this 1,500 square, 15 square foot spot here in the middle of this area, 
If we want to fulfill the vision that we believe that God has given us, we must, as people of God, depend on God with all that we have. Our attitude has to be, God, we cannot do this without you. I can't even begin to tell you, what is this, our 11th week we've been open now? 11, maybe 12, I'm not sure. I don't know that there's a week that goes by as I'm putting together an order of service. I think, oh man, God, if you're not in this, well, man, we're in deep weeds. <laughs> we really need you. We, really, we can't do this without you. Maybe, maybe, I've even had every once in a while, God, maybe we've bit off more than we can chew. Uh, so we need to pray this prayer. We need your help to accomplish what we feel you have called us to do. And this attitude, again, of total dependence, total dependence upon God is the same message we need to communicate to this community as well. See, it's not enough just for us to rent a building. It's not enough for us just to pull together a bunch of equipment or gather together a team or to preach sermons. If all we're doing is trying to attract people just to get into this building, now we do need to attract their attention, that's for sure. And But the attention needs to be directed back toward Jesus. What we do is not, oh, look at what we're doing over here. Friends, this is what Jesus desires to do in your life. So we need to make it clear that this place cannot save or restore you, but Jesus can. This place cannot get your life straightened out, but Jesus can. See, the message of restore... And the cry of our hearts must be the same. God, save us because we can't do it without you. Get your palms ready. Hosanna, God, save us. Okay, here's the second prayer. Cleanse us. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, hold it. If I'm saved, aren't I cleansed already? Well, maybe. We'll see. After the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, Jesus did something I still remember this as a kid growing up at St. John's in Seward, Nebraska, umpteen years ago when I first heard this story about a, Oh, wow, look, Jesus is coming to town. They're waving the palms and they're all singing the dead. This is wonderful. And then what? Jesus did what? Jesus is in the church and he's throwing people out. And he's whipping people and beating people. This is crazy stuff. But that's exactly what verse 12 said. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Anybody buying or selling this morning? Okay. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, or I think the text said pigeons. Now, the question is, why did Jesus do that? Now, as I mentioned before, there are thousands of people who have come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and one of the requirements for being there for the worshipers was to pay the temple tax and offer a sacrifice. Now, some of you have already remarked, you guys don't take an offering? No. <laughs> no temple tax. If you want to make an offering, there's a box back there somewhere. I don't know where it's at. It's back there somewhere. But they also had to offer a sacrifice. Now, we hope today you're bringing a sacrifice of praise. Now, the amount you had to pay, your temple tax, was a half shekel. And it had to be paid in a certain currency. And throughout Palestine, there was a number of different currencies, and they were all equally valid. But, and there's always a but when you come to the temple, it seems, the temple tax had to be paid with a specific kind of currency. See, there was a surplus charge added to the exchange, too. And if you didn't have the exact change, there was a tax on top of the tax. So the money changers were really raking it in 
uh, pretty good. So people all over the world making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem where different types of currency were used. They were forced to pay exorbitant fees, exorbitant exchange rates. It was a corrupt and oppressive system, and Jesus, plain and simple, didn't like it. There's another thing that was taking place at the temple that day. You had to bring along a dove or a pigeon. Now, you could bring your own dove or pigeon. Doves were used in the sacrificial ritual. Jewish law said that your, your dove, your pigeon, had to be spotless, without blemish. And, of course, before they could do that, you had to take them to a priest who was going to make sure that they were spotless and suitable for, for um, sacrifice. And, of course, you could buy your own dove, but it was common knowledge that if you brought your own dove, your own pigeon, it was never going to pass inspection. So in order to get yourself a dove or a pigeon that was suitable for the sacrifice, you had to buy it at the temple. And guess what? They cost a whole lot more than you could have bought at the local Walmart in Bethlehem or wherever. It's kind of like movie theaters today. I don't know if this bugs you, but movie theaters, they won't let you bring in your own candy or popcorn, but they'll sell it to you for an arm and a leg. Uh, I shouldn't say that about arm movie theaters, but it's true. And now the merchants in the temple were in the same sort of racket. The result was that sincere people who were coming strictly for the purpose of worshiping, according to Jewish rituals, were being forced to pay through the nose. I mean, the only way I could even kind of conceive what they'd be like if, if we had Ed stand at the door on a Sunday and he wouldn't let you in until he'd inspected you and then uh, took a tax. It said, by the way, once you're in here, then Lou would say, it's going to cost you, though, to sit in the seat, too. And, and oh, by the way, Chess says, those uh, palm branches, those are extra. Well, you can imagine how that makes some people pretty cranky over the whole deal. Now, it says in John's Gospel that Jesus actually made a whip and he drove the animals out. So you can imagine the chaotic scene, animals going all over the place, tables being tipped over, money rolling all over the place, pigeons flying every which way. And then he says, in verse 13, It's written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, I have actually heard a number of sermons on this where the emphasis was placed on doing the same thing that Jesus did. And they said, we need to stand up for sin. Uh, we need to cry out against corruption. We need to overturn the, the, the tables. We take a, take a whip to all the sinners that come in here. Now, there's no question that we, we need to speak out. And we need to speak out on things. But before anybody goes on a rampage and destroys that good-looking table that's sitting back there uh, with food on it, um, maybe we should look at this from a slightly different angle. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself, is if Jesus came into the temple of your life, what tables would he want to overturn? What elements would he like to drive out of your temple? In what areas of your life or my life have I made an alliance with corruption that goes against the grain of what he actually called me to do? See, our prayer needs to be, God save us, that's for sure, but God cleanse me. Cleanse my life like you cleanse the temple. Drive out everything in my life that isn't pleasing to you. And see, the, the, the thing about corruption is, is that it rarely happens overnight. 
It happens this way. It, gradually, we, we have this little crook part, and we, we kind of move a little bit away from the middle towards the left until the left actually becomes the middle. And then we move it even a little bit more over there, and eventually our lives, little by little, have moved by compromise. We got ourselves to the point where we are actually comfortable with corruption. That's why this prayer is, Jesus, cleanse us. Here's the third one. Hear us. Verse 15 and 16. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shining in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked. And Jesus, you just got to love Jesus in these interactions. Jesus says, yeah, I heard them all right. But did you actually ever hear anything when you have studied the book of Psalms? And so Jesus, he starts quoting scripture to these guys. Yeah, come on, Jesus, did you hear what these kids were doing? Yeah, Jesus said, Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And this is still what he wants to hear from us, praise. See, praise and worship, our our mama church is a good name for a church. It's really an important part of a service. Because praise is important to God. Now, I'll just read you a few random Bible passages. Here's Deuteronomy 32.3. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. First Chronicles. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of what? Praise. Psalm 96.2. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And we might as well jump into the New Testament quick. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do you realize you were, you were casting out a little bit of fruit this morning as you stood up and professed your faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed? Mike did basically the same thing. He said, yes, I do, I do, I do. He was bringing forth a, a, a praise, a sacrifice of praise. Now, the Bible says that God inhabits our praises. Uh, I love the, I don't know if it's the Hebrew or the Greek word. I'm kind of mixed up right now. It's yashab. Is that Hebrew or Greek? It might be Syriac. I was reading some of that yesterday, too. But he, but he, he dwells, he inhabits, he yashabs in our, in, our, um, in our praise. He dwells within the songs. You know, as we were going through the first couple of songs and as we sing the big hosannas, he literally dwells in that. He's all in the middle of that. And when we begin to praise him, he begins to move in us. Now, there's a mistake a lot of people make here, and that's this. The mistake is to think, I'm not really worthy to praise him. Well, I'm going to tell you this morning, oh, yes, you are. Because he's already made you worthy. But some people say, well, I got too much stuff in my life. Uh, when I get myself cleaned up, then I'm, I'll come back and I'll start praising. Him. No, I, I take care of that. Wash you clean this morning. You have no excuse anymore, Mike. You have no excuse. So some people kind of hold back because they feel unworthy. They hold back in their private devotional life because they don't think that they are worthy to be facing God or Jesus face to face in the morning or the evening. Now, that, but friends, even the best among us, 
Now, we're not going to stack everybody up and say, okay, who's... No, but even the best person here today, if we had, if we had some scale to figure that out, even the best, best of us is still unworthy. That goes without saying, but even though we are unworthy, he's still, he is still worthy of praise. See, praise isn't, Lord, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm up here, I'm up here. I got my hands in the air, in fact. I got my hand. I'm waving stuff. Come on, Jesus. How clean and worthy I am. Was it the little guy that sat in the corner, little Jack Horner? Last Sunday I preached about the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector. Remember the Pharisee prayed to himself, Oh Lord, aren't you happy I'm here today? Because I'm a tither. I, I, I do all this kind of stuff. And the poor tax collector stood in the back and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As I pointed out in the sermon last week, if you read that text exactly as it's written, in the original language, he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He took responsibility. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. See, praise isn't look at me, how worthy I am. In fact, it's not about us at all. Praise is all about him. Uh, he's the one who's worthy of praise. And each and every one of us needs to find a way to make that a daily habit, to offer up that worship and praise. Even if I could plant in your mind that tomorrow morning when you wake up, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a great one, just to roll over in the morning and say something like that. Rather than wake up in the morning and go, oh dear God, it's another day. No, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now the last prayer is to use us, use us. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came into the temple and Jesus did what? He healed them. In other words, he restored them. After he cleansed the temple, Jesus went back to his business, his ministry of helping people. He didn't get sidetracked. He doesn't make cleansing the temple uh, the brand new focus of his ministry. He didn't start looking for churches that were having bake sales or potlucks uh, so that he could overturn their tables and scatter the food and all things. He went back to doing job one which was healing the blind and the lame. In other words, he went back to restoring broken people. Am I the only broken person here this morning? Just look at me? No. No, we are. We're all broken in some way. We all are. See, in our lives, we need to stay just as focused. We need to avoid the temptation of getting so sidetracked on issues that are not our top priority here as individuals and as a, as, as a ministry. Yet there are some times when secondary issues do need to demand our attention. We do need to clean the building. We, we do need to rearrange the altar. <laughs> we do need to get this up and get water. Okay, those, are, those are good things. But never in the face of not doing God's work of restoring people. See, our prayer needs to be God, use us to do your work on earth. Now, before we leave today, we're going to say the same thing we have said every week for 10 or 11 weeks already. We desire to do God's work, God's way, and trust in his supply. That's our prayer all the time. And just as Jesus reached out to hurting people, and we have no idea how these people are hurting. It could be because they need a a basket full of food like that. It could be because... They don't really have a place to live. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough clothing. 
who knows what it's going to be. God, use us to do your work here. And just as Jesus reached out to hurting people, help us reach out. Help us make a difference in the lives of other people. So I'm going to end with a question. Do you want to see the glory of God rise up in your life and in this place called Restore? See, if so, then I would hope that you could memorize this one little screen up there today and just focus on these four prayers. Maybe jot them down and maybe every day just, you know, when you get up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has, has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. God save me. God save us. God cleanse me. Cleanse us. God hear us. God use us. God use us to do your work in your world. This, I would suggest, is a better way to welcome Jesus into your life. This is how we give him free reign to do his will through us. And I think we this deserves at least seven hosannas, so let's do that. Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. There you go.